Morning. Good to be here. I was here, I think it was about three months ago. It was the middle of July. And uh, the weather's a little different, but isn't this incredible? This like fall 2.0, like winter's just not coming, right? Uh, the tree out, the trees out in the front as we parked, I'm like, they haven't even changed colors yet. So, you know, who knows? But I think eventually it'll, it'll show up. But uh, again, it's good to be with you today, and a uh, uh, message that God has um, given me for us today, I pray that it would be an encouragement. I think that it flows along with uh, the worship and uh, just what God was doing and, and how he was moving in, in worship this morning. And so, how many of you ever had someone that had a name and you pronounced it wrong forever? Uh, and then somebody told you and you still pronounced it wrong. Well, we're going to be in a book, a minor prophet. How many of you know how many minor prophets there are? There's 12, right? Not minor because of message, but minor just because of size. So it's the fifth one from the last of the Old Testament. Uh, I always called it Habakkuk, and it's Habakkuk. And I, I don't, so what, what is it? Is it Habakkuk or Habakkuk? It's Habakkuk. Okay. Um, I always called it one, and then I've been working really hard, and then my wife's still teasing me because she still calls it, you know, she's teaching kids, she's always memorizing it. So I'm not even sure how I'm going to say it when it comes out of my mouth. I might just refer to him as the prophet. (laughs) I don't know, but I just trust that you won't see me, that you'll see the Lord, and that the message will come forth today. So let's pray and uh, ask God to move in our midst and uh, that his word would go forth. Because that's the thing that's important, amen? That his word would go forth and that it would change our hearts and our lives. So, Lord, we uh, come before you today and we just thank you for this opportunity that we can uh, gather in this place. And, Lord, I thank you for this congregation and for Pastor Ryan and Jessica and their family, Lord, as they just faithfully serve. Just grateful that he's able to get away, uh, Lord. Uh, on vacation and hunt, Lord, and just that time away. Uh, God is important uh, for a pastor. And Lord, just thank you for those that carry the load in the absence here at this congregation. Lord, today now we just want to go to your word. We just want to ask, my God, that you would speak to us. Uh, Have your way. Uh, May we be encouraged. May we changed. Uh, May we just be closer to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Habakkuk. Chapter uh, 3 is where we're going to begin, and we're going to walk through this short little book this morning. And I trust that if you're struggling in this area, that your life will be changed today. And so the title of my message is Even Though. And as we get down to our text, we'll be in chapter 3, looking at verses 17, 18, and 19 here. But I've titled the message Even Though. And if you have the new translation, you'll see that it'll say, uh, 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 let's see, yet, or even though, or yet, we'll find that, that phrase. Uh, and, and that's a phrase that, and a terminology that we have to come to in our lives, even though, or yet. So it's a transition, even though this is happening here, or in spite of this happening here, this is how I'm going to respond. And how many of you know that happens? That's happening in our world right now. In the middle of all the things that are taking place, even though that's happening, though that's happening, how do we respond? And we see it because God changed this prophet. He changed him in the midst of the way that he was calling out to him. Um, And so there's a saying that goes like this. Many of you have probably heard this. It's been quoted often. But it said, when we 
we can always trust God's heart. So we can always trust God's heart when we can't trace his hand. We're like, God, what are you up to? God, what are you doing? What? I mean, this just doesn't make sense. And that's the walk of, of faith. That's the walk of being a, a believer is that many times we don't see. We, 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 sometimes we can see after the fact, but we're in the midst of it. God, we, we can't trace your hand. What are you doing? But we know that we always must trust God. Amen? That we've got to trust him, that he is trustworthy, he is true. Um, and so God, even though, even though I can't see what you're doing, I'm going to trust you because you are trustworthy. And so God's ways at times seems mysterious. God, what are you up to? What are you doing? And so what's happening in your life right now that doesn't seem to make sense? As you said here today, you probably don't have to think long. There's something in your life. You're just like, this doesn't make sense. What are the things that are occurring in your life which has caused you to doubt God's love, maybe to, to doubt God's care, his provision, his goodness for you? You know, why? God, why, why has this happened? Why have these people treated me like this? Why has it seemed like my finances have dried up? God, why does it seem like that when I pray, I just, you know, I just don't hear from you? And so how are we to act? How are we to act or how are we to react to life and in life when God seems to be absent, when the answers don't come? And maybe it's your health, finances, relationships. But the prophet was a man like us. He too questioned God like we question God. And he says these words. Let me just read in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit on the vines, or the produce of the olive fail, and the fields bear no fruit, and the flock is cut off from the fold, and yet there is no herd in the stalls. And look at verse 18. Yet, or in the New Living Translation, even though... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in uh, God and the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength and he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread in high places. And actually, at the end of this, it says to the choir master with stringed instruments, these last couple of verses was a song that they sang. Even though, yet... Even though the stalls are empty and the fields are empty and there's no fruit on the vine yet, or even though I will praise you. Can you do that today? Can you do that in the midst of your circumstance? So this book, this prophet is the, uh, the, an Old Testament uh, minor prophet and it consists entirely of a dialogue between God and man. It's it, usually the prophetic message is that God has given the message for the people and that he then delivers that. But what you find as you read through these three chapters, it's just this conversation between the prophet and God. And Habakkuk and Jeremiah are the last two that really speak to the impending destruction. And so the context of this is important. This is at the end of the period of time uh, right before Babylon is going to be unleashed upon Israel, upon on Judah and Jerusalem. 
And what God had been telling them forever and a day through prophet Jeremiah and through other prophets, that if you do not turn from your wicked ways, I will judge you. And so this is, uh, the context is, is, is this message of, of judgment and impending doom and that God was going to send in the enemy to judge his people. And yet we find the mercy and the grace of God in the midst of that message because God says that I'm going to save for you a remnant. And after 70 years, you can return to your land. And so that's why you find Nehemiah, you find Ezra, uh, when they return and they rebuild the temple and they rebuild the walls and they restore, that was after this period of time. It was the promise and the provision of God. It was his grace and his mercy of God. And, and, and I end up sharing from the Old Testament a lot. I've just found myself lately, if I have opportunities, and if you don't see the grace and the mercy of God in the Old Testament, then you're reading with your eyes closed. <laughs> Because the Old Testament is just full, as full as the grace and mercy of God as the New Testament is. That God would withhold his complete judgment on his people, but he wanted to hold them accountable. And he told them exactly what he was going to do. And so in the midst of this, this is the context for the prophet and what he's doing. And so something happens from the beginning of the story and the end. And so as we've looked at the end... There's something in the middle that transpires and changes. But what is it that he's saying? So let's go to chapter 1. If you have your Bible on your phone or in your hand. And so again, even though your circumstances may not change, and they may not change within the hour or so that we're gathered today, here this morning, what can change and what should change is our view of our situation And ultimately, what we have to come to grips with is where have we placed our faith and our trust? Because how many of you know, many times we we don't even think of it like this. We may not say it, but we we can place our faith faith and trust in people and in things or in ourselves and not in God. And so that's really where we, we have to take an assessment today. Where have I placed my faith and my trust? We find... Today, that, that there's a lot of things that don't seem to be too trustworthy, right? And we won't get into the weeds of that. You just fill in the blanks on that. As you just kind of know what's happening in our world today, across our, across our country. But in chapter 1, in verses 2 to 4, this is the prophet speaking. And he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? So he's asking God, now... Let me, again, just let you know that God wasn't mad at the prophet Habakkuk here. The questioning wasn't the problem. The problem was, is where did he have his faith? Where was he trusting or where was he not trusting? That was the problem. And so God's okay when our prayers to him are, you know, God, where are you? If you're going to God, that's the important thing. Because we can grumble and complain all day long to everybody and everybody else, but it's not prayer. It's prayer when we go to God. And we say, God, what are you doing? God, what's going on? And he says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? He recognized that, that his people uh, were uh, backslidden. They were, uh, you know, they, they were not in a place serving God as, as they should have been. And so he knew the impending judgment was coming. 
But he says, oh, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? And so the indictment from the prophet is, God, I, people have been speaking, but we, we're not hearing you say anything. Or cry to you violence and you will not save. You know, where are you? And why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? It's like, God, look around, look at the people. You know, they're, they're not serving you. Where are you? And he says, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And so the law is paralyzed or powerless. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. And so the prophet was wondering, God, why aren't you doing anything about the evil that is running rampant in our nation and our people? And God's response was that he was going to do something about the evil, but not in the way that the prophet thought that God should move. God said that he was going to deal with the evil within Israelites, within the Israelite nation by sending Babylon to overthrow Judah and to take them into captivity. And we need to recognize that, that even though that was the tool or the, the resource, but that yet God was going to judge that evil nation for how they treated Israel. And so that's this conversation that's taking place. And so he says, I'm going to send the Babylonians in to overthrow Judah and to take them into captivity. That's why Jeremiah is just the details, the nitty-gritty of, of, of the events that's taking place. And so the prophet had been praying that God would deal with the injustice, but God seemed slow to respond. He seemed very tolerant of the going-ons in their day and age. And then when he disclosed his plan, it still didn't make sense to him. And so let me ask you again this morning, in what area of your life does God not seem to make sense to you? In what way does it seem that God is slow to respond or that he just seems to be inactive in your life? But as I've mentioned before, there's something that transpires in the life of the prophet from the beginning of the book to the end of the book where what we read, and let me read it again, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit in the vine, nor the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off, from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall yet, even though I will rejoice. And so how did he get here from where he was in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2? It's even though. And so what was that? What, what changed? And so don't, mis don't misunderstand the fact of what the prophet is saying. It's not that God can't or that he won't provide, that he won't meet the needs. But he's proclaiming that this is how his attitude and how our attitude ought to change. It's the lens in which we must face life when we're waiting on God to respond. And so what we're going to see in chapter 2 is is the event or the moment, kind of the aha moment for the prophet of where it's like, okay, I get it. And then where he could say what he did. He could pray the prayer in chapter 3 that he did and make the declaration. He could sing the song that he sang at the end of chapter 3. But he went, the prophet went from telling God what he thought he should do in chapter 1 
to what we see in chapter 3, to praising God. The reality is that nothing in the natural had changed. The circumstance had not changed between his cry and his complaint and to his song at the end. The only thing that changed was the prophet and his heart. And so what caused the transformation? So Habakkuk raised two important questions with God. Yet he asked them with a proper attitude. And after the second question, he anticipates the answer from God. And look at what he he does. It's just a good posture of our heart. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and to station myself on the tower and I will look out to see what he will say and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And so he says, I'm just going to sit back. So he complained. And then he says, okay, I'm just going to wait. And then this is how he responds. In verse 4, he says, behold his soul. He's talking about the Babylonians. It's puffed up. There's this this, uh, two-pronged piece. It's like them and him. It's those people and him. Behold his soul. The Babylonians is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And this is where the prophet had missed it. This is where he had missed it. In chapter 1, he's got his fist and he's shaking his fist at God. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Why are you sitting idly by? Why are you allowing these things to happen? And then when God said, he's like, well, how could you do that? But he says, the righteous shall live by faith. And that's what changed the heart and the life of the prophet. He went from telling God what to do and when to do things to a response of living by faith. How many of us are guilty of telling God what to do? God, you've got to... And I understand, and God understands our prayer and our frustration. And so, you know, there, there are times, and I, and I think it's fine. I, I think that's the place to go, is it, we need to go to the Lord. And sometimes there is shaking our fist at God. God, what are you up to? Right? And God's okay with that. God, God can handle that. But he went from telling God what to do to just recognizing that he, need to, he needed to live by faith and it was coupled with a life of praise. And that's what we find in those last couple of verses in this chapter, in this book. Even though or yet, I will praise you. And so he not only waited for God to speak, but he acted upon that which he had heard from the Lord, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Galatians 2.20 says, I live and yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Are you living a life of faith? How many of you know we place our faith in Christ, our trust That's that transaction there where we we come into our faith relationship with him. All of the things that Christ accomplished on the cross then are applied to us. There's different 
terms that we can apply, atonement and justification. We set forth then in, in sanctification and being Christ-like. But then we don't just come to God by faith or in faith and then not live by faith. And so we enter a relationship by faith and we continue to live in faith and trusting him. And so faith is a steadfast trust in God. His ways are true. The Bible dictionary defines faith as a belief or a confidence, a trust, a reliance on God. And so in the Bible, religious faith is a life-shaping attitude toward God. The person with faith then responds to God with trust and love and even obedience. To live by faith means we to believe God's word and we're to obey it no matter how we feel or what we might see or what we might not see. But to live by faith as we say, yes, God, you've spoken it. I'm going to hang on to your word. And I'm going to walk by faith. The righteous person trusts not in themselves, but they trust in God. Their faith is directed upward and not inward. And so where are you focused? Are you focused in looking inwardly or are you looking upwardly? Are you looking to him? Someone described faith like this. Herein is faith, the ability to accept as reality what we fully can't understand. The ability to accept as reality what one can't understand. And there are many things that seem mysterious in our walk of faith and as we read God's word. But can we accept it? If Jesus has said it, if God has said it, can we, can we trust it and believe it as it's so? Corey Ten Boom said this, faith is like a radar that sees through the fog. It sees through the fog. It sees beyond it. You see, God doesn't have to explain himself to us. We must let God be God and trust in his goodness even when we find his ways difficult to understand. And so it had to have been an aha moment for the prophet because it transformed his life and the way of thinking. And so as I've moved through this, we'll just come back and look at this. Chapter 1, he's shaking his fist at God and his prayers are pointed at God. It's like, what are you doing And then in chapter 2, we see that he has this aha moment of, oh, I've got to walk by faith. And then out of that, in chapter 3, you find this great prayer of the prophet, and then this praise that concludes his conversation with God. Hebrews 11.1, continuing to speak of this faith, Hebrews 11.1 says, The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And let me just put this in in modern day times and what we're seeing today. People can look at the world today and the events that are taking place and they can be gripped with fear. But how many of you know for us, and if you know your Bible, if you don't know your Bible, get to know your Bible. Because the events that are taking place, I'm not here to say that what's happening right now is one particular event, but scripture talks about birth pangs. This is one of those things that's taking place. 
You know, so God said, you know, this is, this is how it's going to be. You know, I'm going to go away. I'm going to come again. It's like, okay. And in the meantime, we're left here, right? And we're like, okay, God, what are you up to? You know, the world seems to be spinning out of control, but we don't have to fear. We don't have to doubt. We just need to live by faith and to trust God and to remain obedient to that, what he asked of us. It's like the, the, the story of the, the, the ten virgins, you know, half of them were prepared and ready and the others were just procrastinating. How many of you know we spiritually can't procrastinate? And so faith, it's the assurance of things hoped for. God, you said that you're going to return again. You're going to turn things right side up one day. Well, I'm going to trust you in that. And it may look like everything's going to heck in a handbasket, and it is, but as you read Scripture, that's what says it's going to have to happen. And so it takes faith to wait for God's plan to unfold in our lives. And so Habakkuk knew that difficult times were coming to his people. And the only resource was to trust God's word and to rest in his will and his promises. Think of Job. If you're familiar with the story of Job and the things that he went through. Even after Job endured all the things that he did, he had such faith and trust in God that he said, even though he slays me, yet I will not waver. I will continue to trust in him. It's Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. In other words, even though if God takes my very life, if that's the will of God that, that he takes my life, I will not Doubt him. I will trust him up to that moment. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Thomas Aquinas said this to the one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To the one without faith, no explanation is possible. Isn't that profound? Listen to that again. To one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. I've got faith. God said it. It's done. I'm just going to rest in it. Storm clouds come. The waves roll. I'm okay. God spoke it, right? But to the one without faith, you can try to explain all day long to those without faith, and they're not going to get it. And the just will live by faith. Even though, even though, even though. A little further on in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 6 to 8, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. And then we see these examples by faith. Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen... Hey, God, it's going to rain. Or, hey, Noah, it's going to rain. God says it's going to rain. Why don't you build a boat? How big? This big. That big? Okay, I'll do it. So Noah, being warned by God, concerning events yet unseen, and reverent fury constructed the ark. And in that was a type of salvation. prototype of the salvation that God would have for us 
that he would save us, right? And it was for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And then in verse 8 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed. And when he called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. How many of you know Abraham thousands of years ago, but how many of you know it's being played out today? And the promise is still going forth today. And so whatever you're up against, walk by faith. James 1 and 6, but let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And what about the promises of Jesus in Matthew 19 and 26? With God, all things are possible. Do we believe that? With God, all things are possible? Luke said it a little differently. 137, with God, nothing shall be impossible. And as we look at the last verse there, chapter 3, it says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Have you found the sovereign Lord to be your strength today? Have you found him to be your strength in the season of life that you're finding yourself in right now? The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He enables me to go to the heights. Warren Wordsby says, Habakkuk tells us and teaches us to face our doubts and our questions honestly, to take them humbly to the Lord, to wait for the Lord and, and his word to teach us and then worship him no matter how we feel or what we see. There's a song, a chorus that we sing in the church, I will praise him in the storm, right? I'll praise him. Praise him in the good times, praise him in the bad times. I'm going to praise him. Why? Because I walk by faith. I live by faith. And how many of you know, let me tell you this. You're like, well, how do you get that faith? You get it from God. The very thing that he asks you to do is the thing that he provides for you. You don't have to go around and say, okay, I'm going to have more faith. I've got to have more faith. You, you can't conjure up that. It's a gift of God that he gives you. Just as if with salvation, as it is with salvation, he gives that free gift as you choose. It's not of your own works. It's not of your undoing. You can't boast. But then the faith. And so if you're struggling in that, then it's God, increase my faith. The disciples had to say that. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to increase our faith. The Bible says that if you have faith as a mustard seed, just a small, you just God, I believe, and you know, in some parts of your life, you, you may feel like, I'm still doubting it. <laughs> and I'm not saying this is a name and claim it type thing, but I, I will say this, we just continue, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I trust you. We walk in it. We walk in it until we feel it, and we sense it. And there are many times we walk in struggles and we're not going to sense it and we're not going to feel it. And we have to say, okay, God, I don't know what is going on, but I know I can trust you. 
And how many of you know that's why your testimony, the testimony in your life and the provision that God does and the thing that God works in and through your lives, it's a source of encouragement. And as you share your story and your testimony to others, it should encourage, and it does encourage other people. Because so many times what the enemy does, one of the schemes of the enemy is to think that you're the only one going through the things that you are facing, but you're not alone. And you're not facing anything new than anybody else has faced. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, yet he can identify with us because he faced the trials and temptations. And so he went before us. So the prophet goes from worrying to watching and waiting to worshiping. His life has changed. And so instead of complaining, he's praising the Lord. And so the question for us this morning is, we move to a close. Are you worrying? Are you watching? Are you looking outward? Where is your faith? Are you complaining? Or are you worshiping? So are you worrying? Or are you watching for God? Are you complaining? Or are you worshiping? Chuck Smith said this, may God lift our vision above our circumstances that we might look upon him, the master of our circumstances who has infinite resources more sufficient than your need. I want you to stand with me this morning. Let me pray with you. Lord, I just ask this morning that in this room, Lord, I know without and the number of people here, Lord, I know there's at least one or there's a few, my God, that they are wondering right now, God, where are you and what are you doing? And God, you are so aware of our very lives, God. You know us, my God. You know us by name. You know us intimately, my God. And so, Lord, today I pray for the one or the two.
in a hurting and lost and dark and broken world that we can shine forth with the light of Christ. Lord, that our testimony, that the love of Christ will flow from us, my God, to the people around us. Lord, so much so that they'll ask us, how can we have such peace and we can share the reason for our hope.